another podcast on data centers, and I want to introduce my guest and good friend, Greg Lowe, who's a, a leading executive technology at Boyd Gaming. And prior to that, MGM, Comcast, and J.P. Morgan Chase were places that Greg ran technology and also had the opportunity to run, run technology for a technology company in Switzerland, which gave him some very unique experience across the world. So, Greg, welcome. Thank you, Gary. Look forward to catch up. Great to catch up. So, Greg, can you can you tell us a a little bit about what your job these days entails? At the moment, run technology for Boyd Gaming. They have twenty eight different properties across ten states. Seventeen of the properties have hotels and and convention space. So, in within each of the properties, there's different sections. So, you would have the hospitality, and that's the hotel room. You could have food and beverage, that's the restaurants and drinks. You have entertainment that, that is done by live bands, shows, different things that come across the different venues. The convention space, which is where people obviously come in and have their meetings in, in a larger fashion, all along with sprinkled in with this thing called gaming. And gaming is not just this physical device anymore where you pull the arm down. Gaming is now on handhelds. You, you speak about how you can be mobile with your, your sports betting and be able to do things literally on the fly in this space. So it's transverse from the, a lot of the physical into the digital and the melding of the two has been the, probably the biggest challenge I think this industry faces. Yeah, how, how does the gaming industry from a technology standpoint differ? Uh, I'm sure there are regulatory issues and things like that that you've got to go through, right? But just in general, you know, your operations, I assume it's a bit different than, than what you've been involved in prior to that. Yeah, every state has their own regulations, and, and that is a difficult thing to keep on top of. In many cases, states will not allow any of the data to transverse that state itself. So you have to be able to operate in a silo within some of the properties, yet you still have to be able to consolidate data on the back end that is allowed to move out and centralize it from that aspect. So it, it is unique industry. It's heavily regulated, as you can imagine. And even when we talk about things like sports betting, on on your phone and in many cases you still can't leave the state that you're betting in so you have to be able to geofence those devices and make sure that people are living up to the regulations that are in place great so can you tell me a little bit having the experience that you have across the world and what we've done and of course you've been in the business for a long time how the data centers have differed over your career and how we've evolved in terms of our ability to support the technology and overcoming the challenges that we've had? Yeah, Gary, if we go way back in our career, and I mean way back in our career, we used to talk about the redundancy within a data center and what tiering level it would need to be. Is it a, a tier one, two, three? We usually stuck around three or a four. And what did that mean? How many nines of availability was that? And so I think the biggest thing that has changed is it's no longer talking about how many nines of availability, not 99.999 anymore. It has to be a hundred percent. So the evolution has really gone from these looking at it from this physical aspect into how can you then ensure that your technology is working every day, all day. And, and it creates people to think out of the box. And that's what's happened in the data center space. And we've been fortunate to experience things from just making sure that it had the right power and how they got the power. And then they went to the Starbucks system and now power is generated through so many different aspects. And so today's data center is energy efficient, where in the days of past, they did not used to be. 
Today's data center, when we talk about the green aspects of it and, and cooling and heating and, and, the, and the advancements that they've made just in how they, how they manage the hot, cold aspect of the data center has changed tremendously over time. You know, I think of changing over time and the, the data center that I visited with you in Switzerland, right? And some of them were pre-World War II buildings, right? And the challenges building within those buildings. I recall one actually being in a vault. Right. Exactly. I mean, I guess that must have been a challenge for people because coming out of that vault, there were bottles of shops and things that I guess you needed to relieve yourself with. Right. Yeah. Not such significant time in there, but that was a real different world. And very creative overseas, the geothermal aspect of cooling a data center. That was part of their, their overall plan. Again, renewable energy was part of their plan. And this was 10, 15 years ago when I was in Switzerland. But that's what they mandated. And they almost have to, because you're right, the infrastructure just is not the same over in Europe as it is here in the United States. And the transmission mediums are much different over in Europe than they are here in the States. So the creativity, the amount of space itself, I mean, Switzerland was a small country. There's just not a lot of space to house a lot of data centers. So they find the space that they can to put that space in. But then you also have to be creative on how they manage that space in and think of the facilities around that space. Yeah. Now back then we were, we were mainly housing enterprises were housing equipment in their own facilities. Today, things are much different with co-location facilities. The way equipment is brought in, we're not often bringing in one server at a time. We're bringing them a rack at a time or multiple racks. How does that look in your world in terms of how that's changed over the years? In, you know, the converged systems or engineered systems are incredible in today's world. It's it's very unique to be able to go from physically on-premise and then slide into the cloud with the switch of a button, basically. And so, it like especially with Boyd, there was we they did have their own data center within one of their buildings, and it just becomes not cost-effective to run. So they did move to a co-location. As a matter of fact, two co-locations were, were were redundant via regulations that we have to have that VR built into place. And, and as I said, the Today's data center, when you think about the space and you think about the, the magnitude and the size that runs so efficient compared to what we had back in the, in the 90s and 2000s. How have your tools changed to, to go along with that? Now, managing equipment that most often people never see, right? What tools are you using today that have evolved to help you accomplish your job that you weren't using years ago? Yeah, years ago, there wasn't really a lot of what I call working from home. I'm going way back. You had to physically be in front of the box. We would do physical walkthroughs of the data center of the equipment to make sure the lights were blinking. That's, that's how we, in many cases, knew if things were working or not. The monitoring tools were not very advanced. Today's world, it's overly advanced. Not only can you see what equipment you have, you can see what it's connected to. You can see what data is flowing from equipment to equipment or, you know, virtual slice to virtual slice. And and so now you have a full 360 degree view of your environment at any given point. You can have proactive monitoring where in the past, the proactive component was all but non-existent. So if you see that action A plus action B will equal some sort of outage or some sort of downtime, once you see that A go down, B start to happen, you automatically have scripts that run out or you have automation built into place that will divert any kind of outage from happening. Alert, and it's smart enough with the AI that's built into these tools, the artificial intelligence, that they can go out and not only fix, but they learn from fixing it 
and making sure that they can even do it better, quicker, faster. So the big change is it used to be very manual in aspects. Now it's automated and it's built in with machine learning and you know the artificial intelligence. So it, it, it allows you to manage from anywhere. The team, the team members don't have to be in a physical building. They can be at home, they can be on vacation and watch their environment and know that things are up and running. That's great. So it gives us a lot more capability, but obviously I'm sure there are challenges there as well, right? Oh, absolutely. When you think of the work from home, you know, at first, a lot of people were concerned about productivity, but it actually turned into people started to work too much. So the work-life balance took a, took a weird turn in that aspect because you're always on when you're at home. You have the ability to always see things and you're always alerted. So you have to learn to temper back and understand the, and, and build in that work-life balance appropriately, especially when you're doing remote work. I was speaking to Rich Werner in a, a previous podcast about the facilities and all the IT and facilities teams ultimately had to come together, but we used to speak very different languages. We had objectives that were, were differing from one another and it created challenges. How do you see that space and, and the technology communications amongst the groups these days as compared to those days? I think back, Greg, to when we were at Comcast, for example, and building the data centers was, was a, one of the things that we had to accomplish, but with that, building the service delivery process around that, right? And you were instrumental in that. It was somewhat difficult initially trying to get everybody talking the same language on the same page. And ultimately, when you're able to do that, you start to benefit in so many different ways from that. What's your perspective on, I guess, what that service delivery process was, how that's evolved, and how that works in business today? And you still have, in many cases, the physical installation. So you still have to have those processes and procedures in place. Well, when it comes to the data center, you're right. There used to be the yin and the yang. Daily operations and, and data center, as you and I both know, rubbed very often. And, and that's because the operations is I always have to keep it on. The data center is I always have to keep it safe. And two different objectives. In today's world, they've melded together where it's no longer the yin and the yang. They both have the same objective of always be having things on, and they only, they have the same objective of ensuring that things are done correctly. And especially with the big push to do co-locations, which many, many, many companies have moved towards, you've removed the facilities component and the maintenance component, where again, maintenance used to have a big impact on the equipment in the different data centers. In today's world, the, the way that the maintenance is set and, and how redundancy is built into the data centers, we don't have that type of issue. So that's been removed. Along with that is education. I, I think that the people in technology and outside of technology, so leaders of businesses, now understand the data center more. It's not just this building that houses servers. It's, it's, a, it's really it's a location where we have pieces of equipment that house data. And that becomes a much different view than just looking at it at a, from a physical point of view. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the education piece. So thank you very much for mentioning that because for the last few years, we've been somewhat limited with on-site education, right? Or, or face-to-face education. However, we have this, this medium that we're using now that is giving us the ability to do things that we wouldn't have been able to do not too long ago. How do you see the education today in terms of what forums your, your group would get the most benefit out of and the ways that you focus on that? So I want to take that from two different views. I'm going to take it from a business point of view and I'm going to take it from an IT point of view. 
from the business point of view, people are much more inquisitive on how things work because technology is driving what they do. If you look at you know, in today's world, Wi-Fi, you can track where people go on Wi-Fi. You know what they're going to do. So now if I can take and track you, but I also know that you're going by your favorite restaurant, I can then have direct marketing with you and push things right away. All of that is only possible if you attach back to the data component, which is typically back in either a data center or in the cloud. So all of those things have to work together. But because it becomes now a business complication, the business is asking questions. How does that work? What can we do? Where in the days, if you go back years and years ago, IT used to push the business along. The business would be up front saying, okay, IT, I need you to perform X, Y, and Z. So again, that, that big shift is bad. Technology is out front. IT supports the technology and business is utilizing the technology all up front. And so because the three have become really one unit in many cases, the education has, has just been naturally built into the day-to-day -day function, right? And again, I go back to very inquisitive, ask how does it work? And then you're able to explain it. From the technology point of view, so from the IT point of view, the education, that's the harder piece. There are new things being bombarded on engineers day in and day out. And you have to really pick and choose what you want to be educated on. There are some fundamentals, I think, that everybody knows about. And that's where you start with. You start with the fundamentals. But then you start to specialize. You, you have the, the Windows servers, the Linux servers. You have it all built on different platforms. The, the, the engineered systems that they rely on. The overlay of VMware or AHV, which is Nutanix version of you know, the, the virtualization, all those components built together, no one person, or it's a very unique individual that can learn it all very quickly. So you have to pick and choose what you want to learn when. That also folds back to you interact with other teams much heavier now. So a server team can no, no longer work all by itself. It has to interact with the network team. The network team has to interact with the cloud team. And that force of interaction also forces education in many senses. You're going to want to know a little bit about the cloud if you're going to be utilizing the cloud. You're going to want to know a little about the server platform that you're utilizing, you know, in different cases. So yes, it's specialized and people need to learn and understand their track for education and build out their track, but it's also forced upon them because of the interaction of how the different components work today. So with being in co-location facilities versus enterprise facilities, obviously you're not close to your equipment any longer. How do you account for that? And then... How often does that te technology change? So accounting for it is one thing, but going through a particular and a critical business, the decommissioning process and ensuring the safety of your, your data. Yeah. Yeah. And alien, that conversation has evolved tremendously in the past 10, 15 years. When you talk about assets in a data center, if an asset is live, typically, you know about it. Now, you may not know exactly where it resides, but you know, it's up and healthy. So the, the, the question now becomes where, where physically is this device and how do you track the device and its movement? But I see one of the bigger problems with it and where there's waste is the decommissioning. Very, it's pretty easy to turn a server off or turn a piece of equipment off and forget about it because once it's off, it's not being detected. And so then you have just wasted space, potentially wasted power, you know, wasted connectivity ports. So when you, when you don't decommission correctly. So when you start looking at it from an asset point of view, it's no longer where you, you, you track everything. Now you know what's out there, but you have to know where it's at, like I said earlier. So now understanding and, and also understanding the paired partner with it. So typically if things are redundant for 
disaster recovery. Again, you'll know it's a lie, but you don't know these two items are connected together technically, you know? So when it comes down to your, your assets and managing them and knowing where they're at, you have to look at it holistically and you have to really understand what your footprint is, et cetera. And again, this gets into really deep conversations because you can start talking into the virtual world as well. And how do you manage through the virtual world in the data center, which becomes almost a whole topic on its own that we could go down and, and refer to. So the short answer is, Gary, it's super important to know what your assets, where they are um, and where they are not so that you can manage that space effectively and also make sure that you are, you, to utilize the space effectively, you're removing old and unused equipment very quickly and efficiently. You brought up a great point just about the, the asset component and location of that asset, right? And a lot of people that I've talked to get confused about the auto discovery capabilities, for example. I know that I have my asset and I know it's online. I can tell you the IP address, but I can't tell you physically where it resides. And that presents some challenges for sure. It's one of the reasons we came into play because of the physical location of the assets and the need to get to them quickly particularly when you are in these very large mega facilities that you've got to direct people to address challenges quickly and stay on top of your, your environment. Yeah, I think you remember the old days, we literally would walk through the data center, usually once a quarter, had a clipboard in hand and would physically write where things were. And, you know, again, kind of the health of the systems. Today, it's, we, we fortunately do not have to do that. There's so many different mechanisms that we have at our fingertips where it can be done in an automated fashion, which helps out, you know, again, with time and effort and also with space management. Space management is, is a big, big issue. So in a co-location, we have limited space and, and it's very difficult to expand that space because it's a physical cage. We are marked off from everyone else within that facility. And to grow is either to get another cage or manage that space that you have. So within the racks themselves, every you matters and managing every you matters. And so that's the other thing with asset management. It's again, it's not just that physical device, it's the space you have to manage as well. Yeah. And the power consumption network, everything that goes with that, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. So Greg, this is, this has been a time well spent. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to many more. I think that we can make some fun sessions out of this. So Really appreciate your time. I know your time is very limited, so thank you for uh, participating with us today. Uh, and Gary, thank you. I appreciate you, the person you are, the knowledge you have. I am fortunate to have you as a friend, and I also look forward to continuing these conversations in the future. All right. You have a great day, my friend. All right. Take care.